Well, hey there, broads. Um, as many of you may know, for the next few weeks, Becca and I are only going to be recording new episodes for Tuesdays, um, not Tuesdays and Thursdays, because, well, Becca's having her baby. She may be having the baby right now. I don't know. Um, but we thought, let's not just go dark on Thursdays for the next three weeks. Let's redrop some of our past favorite episodes. So today, you are going to be listening to an episode that we recorded, God, I guess it's been like about a year. About a year ago, we recorded this episode with Kamali Minter. She is absolutely fantastic. So much of what she talked about in this episode really helped change certain parts of my life um, this past year, and I am so, so grateful for this conversation. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with Kamali Minter that we recorded about a year ago. And welcome to another episode of Chatty Broads with Becca and Jess. Hello, everybody. Happy Thursday, broads. We have a very, very exciting episode ahead of us. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This is like some new territory for me. And I'm, ooh, when you mentioned this specific guest to me, I got all sorts of excited. So this guest is somebody I actually took a workshop with a year ago. Her name is Kamali. And go ahead and introduce Hi. yourself. Hi. Hello, hello, ladies. <laughs> Excited to be here. Yeah, and she does some really awesome work and has a lot to share with us and talk to us about. And yeah, let's, yeah. let's dive right in. So what was the workshop that you... So the workshop was... What's the name of it again? Yeah, so it's called Body of Bliss. Body of Bliss. Yeah. And I would... The way that I would... Um, describe it is it was about like connecting reconnecting with your body and kind of coming into your body I mean I th- I guess mainly for sexual purposes but just beyond that of of the, being aware of yourself of your senses and sort of like in a meditative kind of way yeah you're totally nailing it yeah <laughs> like that's it that's, that's, the it. Pitch. that's <laughs> it I know it's hard okay so I I'll just like to summarize I'm um, a tantra teacher and a love and relationship coach so that encompasses a lot of territory from sex to relationship um, to intimacy issues and Body of Bliss is a program I developed specifically for women um, who are interested in sexual awakening, um, coming home to their body, resolving body shame, uh, possible sexual trauma, uh, and just all that stuff we didn't get from our moms or from sex ed mm-hmm. or from <laughs> yeah. all, you know, like that education we all wanted mm-hmm. around sexuality and relationship. So we pack a bunch of that stuff into a program. For women, yeah. So how exactly were you raised? Like, were you raised in a super open environment? Is that kind of what led you to it? Or <laughs> yeah. was it the opposite? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's a good question, right? So I, I fortunately was raised in a very alternative household. Uh, I think my parents, my dad was definitely like a hippie uh-huh. of sorts who became like more of a like um, activist in college and then went on to become a lawyer. Um, wow. But my mom was very into like alternative medicine and just like pretty much anything counterculture and alternative. She was, she was like the original rebel. Yes. Amazing. You know? This is reminding me of Zena. <laughs> it Remember is. Zena was talking yeah, about yeah. her background. Yeah. One, of, one of the guests that we had that um, when we had a sex episode 
she's saying a lot of what you were saying. And Becca and I were both raised in such a different environment yeah. yeah. that we were like, say what? This is, <laughs> so, this is so crazy. Tell and us cool. about your world. Yeah. So yeah. Continue, continue. No, I, I tell people like my parents planted the seed. Like one of my most favorite <laughs> things was my dad had these Taoist sex books where I would flip through them and it'd be like these drawings of like Asian people in all these different positions and like I had no idea what I was looking at but I was fascinated I was like this whatever this is oh my god and somehow it came back around like years and years later where I had more context for it all yeah very neat yeah it's amazing so how did you get started doing the work that you now do how did that evolve and how did you maybe I mean there's so much to cover because we're also we don't know very much about Tantra and I don't think a lot of our listeners do there's a lot of misconceptions I think of what it's about oh yeah yeah, no I know I mean the first thing that you said as soon as you sat down and I'll let you repeat it, but you said what Tantra was about. And I'm like immediately going, (laughs) okay, I only thought that it was like the Kama Sutra. That's like my brain goes, ah, the Kama Sutra, right? It's just that Uh it's just like sex positions and whatever. So yeah, please. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it is like Tantra is this vast universe. And so what I was saying to you is that like, I break it down into, it covers the, the realms of birth, sex, and death. Right. And these are all really like juicy, but scary topics that are full of really the essence of like, what is life about? Like, what is creation about? Um, What is the cycle of life that we're living? And so the, 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 the heart of all those mysteries is like what's at the heart of Tantra. So I tell people Tantra is actually a path of meditation, which is counter what we learn about it in the West here because it's become popular for its teachings about sexuality and about intimacy, mostly because that's the healing that we need here in the West. There's mm-hmm. so much need for that information mm-hmm. and for those experiences. But the roots of Tantra are actually not that sexy at all. Really? <laughs> no, I mean, the it, it's kind of the philosophies, the original philosophies and rituals and practices were changed um, kind of years ago. So like when they, it came to the West in the 60s and the 70s, uh-huh. mostly popularized by Osho. Okay. Um, it's a different form than what we would call classical Tantra. Okay. So there's a realm of classical Tantra that's all like ritual and puja and mantra and about goddess worship. It's a very rich realm. It's actually, I have a personal practice based in that. Um, but what I teach and what's come to the West, what most people hear about here is a form of neo-Tantra, which was basically formed and it's a blend of Tantric philosophy with somatic practices, with psychological um, healing um, and a lot of work around sexuality and identity, mm-hmm. because this is the the places where we're really getting mucked up around our power mm. and how we reconnect with the original innocence that we come into life with. Yeah. So wow. wow, that's. I mean, I love what you just said about the the original innocence that we come into life with. Because I've talked a lot about imagine growing up, even just in the age of the internet and everything now. And I've talked with my boyfriend about it. How. Coming from the being like 14 or 15, watching porn, you know, four or five days a week sometimes for 10 to 15 years, sometimes even 20 or 30 years, and how we become so disconnected with this innocent discovery of each other's bodies and what sexuality looks like. And it's mm-hmm. so... We're yeah. so cut off from that. And even like now having my daughter, who I was telling you is three years old, like her questions are so innocent and so like pure in the way, but she is so curious curious. And it's just, 
I have this immediate, I guess, Western reaction in the way that I was raised that my immediate answers to her are kind of just be like, oh, don't, don't, don't touch yourself there. Like, let's not talk about that or whatever. And I'm having to stop myself going, oh my God, why am I allowing maybe how I was raised or my environment to not allow my child to have these really beautiful, honest questions? Exactly. Yes. So much of the work I'm doing is actually unprogramming, like mm-hmm. is like dissolving the construct that was created by the things we were taught by our families, the things we were taught by institutions, the things we were taught by experiences and what we made those things mean, you know, but at the, if we go all the way back to like our youth, um, as a child, and this is like a, one of the practices we do is just like to really go back to the, your first earliest memory of anything sexual, you know, whether it was an encounter with a friend or like touching a part of your body that brought you pleasure and just um, remember the innocence that was there. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you know what you knew and what was your orientation to what you were feeling during that experience? Usually if it wasn't a violation or something that was forced on you, it's like pure pleasure. Mm-hmm. It just feels good. It just feels yeah. good. You know, and that's like the orientation we come into life with is that we're pulled towards things that feel good. And our sexuality is actually just a natural part of our, it's a part of our nature, you know? And before we have all these ideas that culture gives us about like what's right and what's wrong about it and how you're supposed to do it and why you should feel guilty about this or that, the baseline of what we all have is that these bodies are capable of pleasure. And there's something about that that's nourishing and natural and good for us. Mm. So that's actually what I try to help people rediscover is that sense of wonder and innocence and naturalness about who, what is your authentic sexual expression? If you could strip away all the other stuff, what's that like? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I literally chills. Yeah. Like, can you workshop me right now? Yeah. <laughs> Let's, do, Let's this. do it. Let's do it. Um, before, oh my gosh, oh, I'm yeah. so yeah, excited. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. Okay. We have to do this quick. Yeah. Um, we have to talk about a company after it's my, my own heart really, because I used to use it so much and I still do because it's the biggest time saver and so convenient. It's stamps.com. Uh, This is why you need Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office. I hate going to the post office. Yep, and it saves you money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. When I worked in wardrobe styling... And I had a client who was suddenly traveling to London and needed something chic to wear for an interview last minute. We would have to ship it. And we were so busy and I was so stressed out. The last thing that we had time for was a post office trip. So stamps.com saved me stamps so much time. Yeah. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer. It's amazing from anyone uh, working from a small office, sending invoices to an online seller, shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, stamps.com can handle it all. You can use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, package, class of mail to anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. 
I mean, how many times have you flipped a lid looking for a stamp or not having enough? This literally just happened to me last week. I was calling Grayson's mom like, can you bring me stamps? No, it's a nightmare. And I've done it so many times. But with stamps.com, you can just print it. With stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, which is why over 700,000 small businesses already use stamps.com. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in chatty. That's stamps.com. Enter chatty. I didn't know you got a digital scale with it. Jeez. Yeah. Come on. Stamps.com. Stamps.com. All right. Okay. Back to Tantra. Okay. <laughs> you know, stamps.com and Tantra, it's all really the same. So how were you introduced to the philosophy? How did right. you really yeah, sink so your teeth into it? how did it, it enter my life? I mean, I kind of feel like <laughs> I have a teacher that says you're born a tantric. So mm. <laughs> really? kind of like if it's part of your path, at some point it finds you mm-hmm. and it grabs you and it doesn't let go. <laughs> Um, but the way it it found me was that I was, I was in the middle of kind of like a personal, like a really big personal development awakening Mm -hmm. in my life. I had gone through a huge life shift with my parents divorcing after like 26 years Mm -hmm. of marriage. And a lot of things had to heal in our family around that. I was in a relationship with someone I'd been with at that time for about five years already. And we were just working through a lot of intimacy stuff in our relationship, around how we wanted to have sex. Like he was really into watching porn and wanted to bring a lot of those things into the bedroom. And I wasn't close to to that, but I was just like, you know, I need you to bring it in a particular way. Like my body needs things from you to be able to go to those places. Like I'm not a professional sex worker, like, you know? So, um, so we were hitting a wall just around like how we were engaging sexually. And I knew I wanted something that addressed that. At the same time, I was already kind of engaging in this whole spiritual personal development journey with some other things that I had found, meditation and yoga and different stuff. And and then I found my first Tantra teacher who was speaking at this like um, intimacy conference. It was like, oh, Love LA back then, which was just all like sex toys and intimacy. Right, right, right. I remember, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, all this stuff. And she was talking and she started talking about this intersection between spirituality and sexuality. And, And a light bulb went off in my brain. I was like... No one has ever talked to me about where sex fits in in spirituality. Mm-hmm. Like, if anything, it's always kind of like it's not part of it, you know, or and, against it, even. or it's against it. Like, right. it works against our purposes of like spiritual awakening. And she started just to talk about the body as being sacred and this gateway to deeper states of like enlightenment and mm-hmm. all these different things. And it just like it some it lit something up. I was like, I have to know this. I have to study this. Whatever this is, and I did. I started working with her and worked with her in depth for probably about three years before I got the call to teach what I had been learning. But in that process, I went through just major transformation. Like, so my relationship did benefit a lot, a lot about the way, what I knew about my body and how sex works in my body and how sexual energy works and how to work with it. And then how to meet my partner and how to open up to intimacy Mm. and different things with him, like all of that shifted. But the parts that surprised me that I had no idea were going to be part of the whole journey was like, I used to feel so 
intense walking through the world, like in, low levels of anxiety all the time. Mm. You know, I think this, a lot of people can yeah, relate to that. Like this feeling like I was like wanting to connect with people, but afraid to fully connect with people. Mm. And like, I was kind of observing life behind like this protected screen, you know, yeah. and I was just tight all the time. And all of that dissolved. Wow. It dissolved and I started to have access to parts of myself I didn't know existed, like a different kind of confidence, like a different kind of ease, like more love just naturally arising for things and people. Um, and all of this came from the practices that I was doing. Yeah. Now this is really connecting like a lot of, so we had somebody um, come on and talk, Dana, yeah. and it's really interesting even when people are coming from different philosophies or backgrounds, I kind of hear the same thing when we talk about especially female sexuality of we need to learn how to relax mm. yep which that's <laughs> kind of the biggest thing it's a huge one yes relax and um and kind of open yourself up to this kind of divine femininity and when you do it's sort of an energy that'll come off of you and i've heard this from different sources of different you know all different things but yeah. kind no, of that's to come exactly. back to the same thing it, it seems so counterintuitive because when people come to me i'm like look i know you don't right now understand how meditation is going to help you have better sex it may not be an obvious like connection right right but it's the baseline is relaxation and it fights everything that we learn about sexuality because so much we we learn is about the passion like that like ferocious engagement of the power and it's all this friction and bodies colliding and right. you know rubbing and <laughs> these kinds of things but the truth is like the female body which is capable of amazing amounts of energy and pleasure running through it but it can only do that through deep states of relaxation. We have to learn how to do something we're not comfortable with, which is surrender, mm. to open. And it's because the world has been such an unsafe place for a female body, right? And there's so many ways that we habitually lock down and try to control our environment to create a sense of safety for ourselves. So besides relaxation, one of the baselines I try to work with or the, the practices help with is we work with how women can create their own safety? How do we create a ground of safety in our own bodies so that we can relax? <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. And this is so multi-layered because you're now just kind of blowing my mind. Um, so you are a black woman yes. and I, oh my gosh, I'm just like, my mind's exploding <laughs> because I have female friends who are brown or black who have yeah. difficulty surrounding orgasm. And I'm just thinking right now with what you're saying of yes. feeling unsafe in the world mm. around you and how we mm. feel unsafe as women, but as women in black or brown bodies that it's so much like there's even more tension and tightness all the time. And so how do you undo yeah. this how do you unwind from a society and from a culture that has been dangerous for you for yeah. your whole life? Like I'm like getting chills too. Yeah. Like, thank you for bringing that up because I do, I work like, I would say probably half of the people I work with are people of color. Yeah. And it is, there is a slight difference in terms of what a person of color is facing in this world and what that means about learning to be vulnerable. You know, because we all hear the catchphrase of like being vulnerable is a good thing. We want to all learn how to be more vulnerable. Well, yeah, but that's difficult, you know, when there are so many things to be defended against, when there's so many ways we have to protect ourselves, particularly when your body has been a commodified thing, has been an objectified thing, has been a thing that creates, provokes fear or violence in the world around you. Um, and, and, you know, 
black women in particular, I say, like when I work with it, the, the vulnerability piece is so hard because there's this um, cultural piece of having to be strong mm. because black women have been the backbone of their families and their communities for so long. So what they're bearing, the burden that so many black women are bearing, this burden of like, I have to be strong because I have to make it in this world. I have to provide for my family. Yeah. I have to, you know, and there's often a feeling of like having to do it alone. You know, and and so all of these things do add like to the walls that have to come down in order to start to touch vulnerability, start to touch openness, start to touch orgasm, you know. And so, yeah, absolutely. When you're talking about the increased difficulty that can be there, being a person of color, trying to access pleasure, mm-hmm. like not even just orgasm, but just feeling good. It, yeah. it can be a much bigger task to surmount because yes. of all those pieces. Yeah. Yes. And also just um, for people with trauma too, as well, you know, yes. there's so much trust that has to go into not even just interactions with the partner, but with yourself. And there's, I can just imagine how scary that must be Yeah. to yeah. try to access that feeling of trust and full relaxation and surrender like you're talking about. Totally. I mean, trauma is a really big p- piece of this and it's fascinating because I, I love that our, as a general collective, the public is getting more hip about these things. Like right. trauma is a thing that most of us have experienced in some way, you know, <laughs> yeah. in different ways. And trauma can be everything from like bigger, you know, violations and violence in your life to smaller aggressions and moments. Like trauma is just anytime your nervous system has been overwhelmed and mm. you couldn't go through a full cycle of releasing and responding to that experience that happened. Mm. And that trauma gets stored in the body as tension. It literally pockets. Like I, I, when I work with people, I can see in their bodies where they're frozen, you know, where they're still holding parts that like locked down to protect themselves or because something was unresolved that was traumatic. And I know like that pocket is not like until that pocket releases and this pocket releases and this, there's going to be something they won't have access to both in their sensory body, their emotional body and their pleasure body. Yeah. I feel like what you, the definition that you just gave of trauma has to be so freeing to hear for so many people, because I, I, I know that sometimes when people hear trauma, they associate it with a certain type and think, oh, my thing wasn't that big of a deal. I just have to deal with it. But to hear the actual definition of it and how it can affect your pleasure and sensuality and all that just has to be just just hearing that phrase like that is trauma and your body is affected by it just has to be so freeing to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was for me to learn like and it's it's an ongoing process to learn um, how many times in your life you've encountered moments where it was not safe to feel fully because anytime it's not safe to feel fully like to process an emotion that rises up in you it gets stored in your body and this is why the body becomes the baseline that we have to work with if we want to get free if we want to experience liberation, the, the things that are keeping us um, imprisoned, the reason why the mind goes crazy is because none of that can resolve. Mm-hmm. If we can't resolve it in the body, the mind keeps trying to fix it and it loops and it loops and it loops. And the mind is just looking for resolution. Like it's looking for a solution to the unease or the dis-ease that we're feeling in our bodies. So it's like, how do we release it from the source of where it's being stored? We have to get into somatic work, which is that work of working with the body. 
Okay, so where does that where, where does that begin? Like, <laughs> yeah. How do you, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's fascinating working with the body because it's it's a it's a double edged sword, right? Because I say two things where it's like one we we want to honor the importance of the body, the sacredness of the body, the usefulness, the need of the body, all these different things, and two. The body's fragile. It's impermanent. It's gonna die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So let's be honest. <laughs> let's, this is the fact. These are the both, facts. Both of these <laughs> things are true. Yeah. So we want to fall in love with our bodies, but we also want to not be attached to them. Yeah. Right. You know. And this is this is the razor's edge of it. But getting into the body, I find to be a very important next step. So a lot of people, I think therapies become more important, more popular, talk therapy, and people are seeking out different types of personal development work and um, counseling and these kinds of things. And I find at some point in all of our journeys, if we really want to keep resolving these parts of ourselves, we have to work with the body, which there's several ways to do this. The simplest ways can be dancing, I find like the, actually the first body work I did was getting into belly dance. I had a, a belly dance practice for like four years. So that's actually how I, that's <laughs> I actually how that's... I first saw Kamali. It was at, um, uh, what's it called? Oh yeah. Lightning, lightning in, in a, a bottle. bottle. Yeah. It was lightning in a bottle in like 2013 or 14 yeah. or something. And you had a tantric belly dancing workshop. Yeah. That's and me right. and my oh. friends are like, this is so cool. It was so <laughs> fun. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that why well, you brought this workshop called, um, Tantric lap dance. That's what it was. Oh yes, it was oh, tantric. So that's cool. what it was. Just tantric lap dance. Tantric lap and it was dance. with your partner, who I think is now yeah. your husband. He's now my husband. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what I love about that is it made a lot of. I would take little baby pieces of tantric practice and weave it into the the lap dancing context, because so much of what we know about lap dancing is we do it as an act to please our partners, you right. know, or to perform or to be sexy. But lap dance can be like a really sacred art form, especially if a, if the person dancing is dancing for their pleasure. Yes. And then the person witnessing gets to witness them in their pleasure. And because there's no touching allowed and you can't like act on the desire that builds, it's a great container I find for women in particular to melt so many different pieces because we have shame about being witnessed. We have shame mm-hmm. about being about enjoying our like our bodies and then people seeing that um, we have shame about um, oh yeah no it's the the safety pieces is the other part so b- when we can't be touched when we don't have to worry about like you know really hungry yeah. hands coming towards right. us and like forcing a sexual experience before we're ready then we're free to just like go as far as we want with what we're feeling without that concern of like, oh God, am I going to have to have sex now? Yes, because, (laughs) oh my gosh, I remember talking about this in your workshop because, you know, I I thought um, when I was younger that I liked just having more passive partners and I thought, I used to think it was because I was like more quote dominant but then I realized it wasn't about that it was about me feeling safe and like I was able to take each step at the pace that I wanted to go and if I was with a partner that was more quote passive then I was calling the shots on timing you know when I was fully aroused when I was ready for this or ready for that Mm. and it put me in a state that that made me feel so much more safe and instead I wasn't worrying about am I you know going to be wet when he touches me am I going to not be ready am I is this going to 
be painful as all these different kinds of things. And even what you're saying with like the tantric lap dancing and like that, that piece where there's the safety of like, I don't have to be touched. It makes me just think of that stereotypical, like the guy at the club being like, why do you girls come out here and dance if you don't want to be like dry humped on the floor? And it's like, no, there's something about going out. Like there is that thing when you go out with your friends and you are like sensually dancing and I don't want to be touched, but I feel good. And then there's that weird shame piece that's typically included. Like, why are you dancing like that if you don't want that? It's like, no, I'm just feeling myself right now. I'm feeling good and I genuinely don't want someone to try to come up and touch me or to hit on me. Yeah. You know, exactly. <laughs> and that's so countercultural too, is right. to like dance with just for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But you named it. Like, I think a lot of people can relate to that experience of like, you know, being one of the girls and you go out for fun and it's like, you're having fun just being dressed up, feeling beautiful, dancing and feeling good, you know, <sighs> these kinds of things. So there's a lot to work out. It's, it's why I like to work with women on their own um, around a lot of these pieces because when we bring in, you know, the counterpart of the masculine, it gets a lot more complicated because there's a lot of things to work out in terms of, you know, patriarchy and assumptions and all these different things that happen with gender. So, mm. yeah. What, how can, what about for our male listeners? Like where could they start with their own? Pra- I think men yeah. really need to get into their own. Right. Yeah practices. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I was thinking when you were talking about, like, I don't want to be touched in that whole um, cultural myth of like, well, why would you be sexual? Or, you know, there's so many messages we get on both sides, both as women and as men about how sex works. That Mm -hmm. is just wrong. Mm. Just straight up wrong. Like it's not the science is wrong. <laughs> Bring, what are some of those myths? What are, what are some of those myths? Well, uh, if I you mean, can think of gosh, one. Just, okay. So one of the big ones, here's, here's one, here's an interesting one. You might've heard this if you've had other guests talking about sexuality. Um, but the myth that like when a woman gets wet or is experiencing arousal or sexual pleasure that she's ready for sex or it's an invitation mm. to be sexual. Mm. Right. Yeah. So our bodies are capable of responding in a sexual way of having sexual energy move, of even getting wet, getting aroused. And we are not mentally or or, you know, emotionally in agreement with wanting to have sex. Mm. Right. And it's not that we're in denial or we're trying to shut it down, but there's literally a a thing called non-concordance, you know, where... Mm your body will respond to some kind of sexual stimulation, whether it's visual or mental or a physical sexual stimulation, but you're not emotionally or mentally aligned with what your body's doing, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot of women have, who've had this experience can feel like, oh, I'm broken. Or sometimes, you know, for men, it's kind of like the base. Well, if you look aroused or you're wet, then you're ready to have sex. Mm-hmm. And if that's not yeah. happening, then you're not. When the truth is they're not tied. The only way to know if a woman want, is like, it's ready to receive you is to ask her, like, mm-hmm. can I enter you now? Mm-hmm. Like, that's such a sacred thing for a man to stop and literally check in and go like, can I enter you? Because it reestablishes that your body is yours. It's sovereign. And I want to engage with it. Even for partners who have been together for years and years. For a long time. And you'd be surprised, like, the emotion that can bring up just Mm. to have a partner stop and check in and go, like, is this okay? Just the phrase enter is, like, sound, it just 
carries such like a heavy, like powerful feeling, mm-hmm. like that realization of like, yeah, your body being a temple, like, no, this is mine. Like you said, it's sovereign and yeah, it's not yours to choose when to you come and enter. go. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's one of those things that I feel like what, when you ask like, what can men do and the way that I like to work with men is like, and I think it takes so much pressure off for them because there's a lot of pressure on them to perform, yeah. to know how to mm-hmm. make women feel pleasure. They feel like they need to know how to make you come, yeah, right. you know, or to be horny, or, like all, like, yeah, to all be the, the aggressors yeah. that they're yeah. supposed to be the ones making the moves. Otherwise, they're not manly enough. You know, all these things. There's a lot of stuff for men too, and I think what takes some of the pressure off is is for men to understand where their power really lies sexually. Mm. You know, it's not in having like the rock hard erection that never goes away. And it's not in having the 10 inch penis, you know, and it's not in being the master lover that makes her come and have multiple orgasms. Like none of these things are actually the thing that most women are like, that makes you an amazing Yeah, man. no, not at all. It's like, <laughs> that's not what like, we're talking about. Like when we sit around with our girlfriends, yeah, it's no, not no. like, oh my God, he was hard for three and a half days. It was yeah. insane. No, if anything more, it's like he lasts too long. Yeah, and yeah. Like, like, just... Go a little faster. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean like men's actual power, like I witness this all the time. It's presence and it's reverence. Wow. If men could really get that, that their job is to be present, to witness what what is unfolding in a female body, because it is like pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And then to be reverent of it. You know, like I think part of what's interesting about our culture or Western culture versus some of the Eastern cultures is like the idea of devotion and worship is a very normal part of most Eastern cultures. Yes. And even though in patriarchy it's gotten lost, like goddess worship was something that was a natural part of a lot of older cultures. Like this mm-hmm. idea that there was something about the feminine, the the creator of life. <laughs> yes, yeah. That was a mystery that was sacred to be honored and worshipped and explored, you know, protected even. I think that piece has has lasted, this idea that women should be protected on mm-hmm. some level. But but what's gotten lost is that that worship because we get into this whole like, you know, equal, equal, 50-50. <laughs> right, right. You're not better than me. I'm not better than you. Kind right. of thing. And it's not about that. It's not about the personalities and all these different things. But it's actually, we've just lost sight of what is the thing that is so beautiful about a female body. It is different than a male body. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is like not to leave out all the other different bodies in between because mm-hmm. there's lots of other kinds of bodies. But just to put it on that binary for a moment, like a female body and the way it works, like just having, you know, the ability to create and sustain life, um, having an organ like the clitoris that is solely for pleasure. <laughs> you there's know, no other purpose. There's for no it. other purpose for it. Um, having access to our senses, like the female body and the way it works with the brain, the way we take in our environment and the way our senses fires is way bigger. Um, the amount of information we're receiving than the male body. And so, so for all these reasons, like the female body is naturally designed to be sensual, to be emotional, to be responsive, mm-hmm. to be nurturing, to, to emit love, to emit 
power to admit all these things. And if we started to really understand how the female body works, because science is still just catching up, like so much of science was based on male bodies right, for so long. And so we're just learning about new parts of our anatomy, different ways that our brain works, like all these things. Um, and so I feel like for men, like at this point, it's hard for them because you know, it's been about them for so long. <laughs> like everything's been shaped unspokenly around the way men work. And we've all kind of like tailored things to that. But the shift is about now turning our gaze and our lens towards like, well, what is this feminine thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how does this work? And what's amazing about this? And I think when men really get behind a woman and that take the role of like, I'm here to like protect, to support, um, and to to honor, worship, cherish mm. <laughs> that which is amazing in you. And, and you bring that into the sexual experience, um, amazing things can happen. Then there's like a real ground for a different kind of encounter. Oh. Wow. Okay, so I have a question in a moment about yeah. actually you and your husband yeah. involving this. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, let's take, a, let's take yes. a break real quick. But before we hop into that, uh, another fun new sponsor today, we have Miro. Miro delivers obsession-worthy, naturally effective deodorant that looks as good as it smells. It's a plant powder de- powered deodorant made with a blend of 100% natural scents and essential oils that release over time to keep you fresh. Uh, no aluminum in it, which is mm-hmm. one of the great things about it. I just decided I, I thought my crystal salt deodorant was healthy and was all good. And then I realized that the second ingredient was aluminum. I was like, Whoopsie. oh, well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, natural cornstarch and sage to keep you dry. I'll be honest with you. Natural deodorant is just something I could never really do because I felt like it only worked for a few hours for me. And I was stinky again by the afternoon. But I have to back to report that I've been wearing Miro for about four to six months now, and I have not gotten stinky once. Woo. I'm so excited. Um, it really works. Uh, and like Becca was saying, the vegan formula is hardworking, long-lasting with no toxic anything. No aluminum, parabens, talc, mineral oil. It smells so good. They have five scents that aren't that typical baby powder smell. My favorite is called Pillow Talk, and it's Violet Leaf, Lang Lang, Wild Amorous. Lang Lang. So good. Um, it's like my armpits smell like this, like a gorgeous essential oil shop or <laughs> anthropology or the inside of one of Nick's diffusers or something. <laughs> so here's how it works. You choose from five cents and five case colors. You'll get one case and then one refillable pod in your $10 starter, starter kit to try out for 30 days. Then after 30 days, You'll receive a three deodorant pod refill every three months delivered straight to your door, conveniently timed for when most people run out. Each pod is approximately a one month supply. And because the case is refillable, Miro refills, Miro refills reduce plastic waste by approximately 50% versus typical drugstore deodorants. Get 50% off your first order and get started today for just $5. Visit mymiro.com slash chatty and use promo code chatty. That's M-Y-M-Y-R-O dot com slash chatty and start today for $5. Doing good and feeling good should be an everyday thing, just like deodorant. Nice. I really like that. I really like that they reduce waste and the ingredients are great. And it really does work. And it really does work. (laughs) I started using it again this past week because I had written it off the first time. And then I tried it again. I was like, it's great. I really like this. Yeah. Okay. Um, Your question. So my question about you and your husband. So you were saying that when you first uh, encountered each other, that he was just your partner. 
how long has this journey with you guys? Is, is this the person that you were talking about originally when you said that? Yeah. What you, is your journey with yeah. relationships and yeah. Tantra? Yeah. Because I know that yeah. you said originally you were with someone for five years and is this the same individual or? No, it's a really good question. Okay. And, and no, the person I was talking about originally that I was with when I first found Tantra, um, that relationship lasted for about nine years okay, and then wow. we, we parted ways and it was because ultimately like we became so much of ourselves that it became clear mm. that we weren't growing in the same direction. Oh yeah. So, but Tantra actually, I, I feel helped us have, um, more connection and understanding and actually step further into our individuated selves. Mm. What it did for me in that relationship is I got to stop that feeling of codependence, like codependent attachment of being Ugh. afraid of losing the relationship. Wow. This is, yeah. Yeah. And so that became key for being able to actually get to the point where the relationship could go all the way to completion and then end. And the completion was hard. I mean, nine years is hard, That's you know, a really long time, yeah. but I literally used my tantric practice as a lifeline to process the deep grief, the loss, the fear of the unknown. Cause I let go of him, the home that we had built together. I was also shifting my career at the same time. So everything changed all at once. And it was like, this is what I find happens periodically through our lives. If we're really on a spiritual journey of any kind is that we go through these deep losses, like these deep purges, whether it's a health crisis or a relationship ending or um, some kind of death. But we have, you know, this is that life birth death Mm -hmm. thing I was talking (laughs) about. At some point we have to reconcile loss. We have to reconcile the death of things. Um, And in that process, what I discovered is the possibility for rebirth, like of a whole new life and a whole new self. And it was a self that was now grounded in basically all the parts of me I had liberated, uncovered through tantric practice. So I stepped onto, I would say at that point, onto like a whole new dharmic path. Like my career changed. I traveled the world for like a year. And at the end of that year, I met my current partner. Okay. So um, so we met actually in a Tantra workshop. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's with, amazing. With my first teacher and who also ended up marrying us. Wow. <laughs> oh God, that's yeah. so cool. And um, so he was there. He was there going on, on his, his own. own journey, like wow. on his own path. Okay. And it was one of those things I tell people like I was not really in, like it wasn't drawn to him physically. So it's yeah. like he's a weird guy. He's whatever. <laughs> he's a new person in the community. Yeah. I don't recognize. Um, but like over the course of the weekend, like we had one practice together at the beginning of the weekend where we encountered each other blindfold. We we had blindfolds on. So I didn't know it was him per se, except for that he had a beard. So I had a, I had an inkling. Um, but there was so much energy between our bodies. Like it was a very simple practice with clothing on where like we were literally just kind of like exploring with hands and just like the space around you. And every time I would be in his space or he'd be in my space, there was like charge. There was like electricity, you know? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if I like that. And then um, I, I kind of like avoided him for most of the weekend. <laughs> really? Because it was yeah. just like so intense. It was it was, like, uh-huh. I don't, yeah, there was something about it. I was just like, I'm going to go do th- other things. Yeah. And he kept trying to get my attention, you know? And I was like, <laughs> Why are you bothering me? Because like, I don't know if you felt that <laughs> that that space between us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so by the the very last practice of the whole weekend, he comes up to me and he's like, "Will you be my partner?" And I'm like, "Fine." I'm like, 
I'll partner with you. And so we did this practice together. It's just a move. It's movement and breathing. You know, we're sitting across mm-hmm. from each other. And I kid you not, like, I was fully aroused, <laughs> like wet, really? like so just so much electric charge running between us. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so our bodies had a whole relationship before I even knew who he was, wow. before I knew whether I liked him or not, you know, and this is one of the the magic pieces of Tantra yeah. is like, there can be a whole exchange with a person that's nonverbal, that's not based in your ideas about them, that's not based in what they're doing or not doing. That's just pure information about what is mm. the connection, the dynamic mm. between your two energy bodies. So I felt that. And then I was like, afterwards, he was like, so you think maybe we should hang out? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I guess we could do some practice together or something. <laughs> you know? And I was thinking to myself, like, wow, like, I am really drawn to him. I hope I like him as much as <laughs> sure, my body does. Yeah. <laughs> My body's vibing on tomorrow, but oh my God. Yeah. So it, it became a whole journey for us. And we've been together, like we're actually coming up on our one year wedding anniversary, but we've been together five years now. Wow. Yeah. So did you all move forward, like doing this together as a, like for business or for teaching? Did you get, like you were saying you had the workshop with him when you were talking about the, the yeah. Tantra lap dance. He was kind of like her prop though. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. For the workshop. <laughs> yeah. He was my witness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He was my witness. And I mean, what I love about him in that practice is like, it's hard to see from way back, but like I have video of it and he's, because his body's very open and he can actually run energy pretty well in that when we do that practice together, like you'll see his body waving, like he's having orgasmic movement through his body wow. in response to the energy. But, um, but yeah, he's got his own practice. He's got his own tantric practice. He did train to become a teacher with our original teacher. And so he has that in him, um, but he's got a whole nother career as a as a um, industrial designer. So, oh, okay. wow. wow. Yeah. Does he do ever do any work with, with men? You know, he's just started to. He Very actually cool. just did a men's workshop with a friend recently. I'm like, I'm so, going to go send Grayson to go to his workshop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll send give the you, men's off. Yeah. I'll give you. I know they just met last night. It's an ongoing men's group. So how cool. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Okay. So what are some just starter practi- practices that um, anyone could access after listening to this to, to begin to like open themselves and talk? You know, yeah. do those things that you're talking about. How yeah. do we, where do we start? Well, yeah, I mean, like it's so multi-layered, right? But like, I there's lots of simple things you can just, like begin with, and so yeah, maybe let's let's maybe for women who I know just the most common thing that women yeah. talk about is having difficulty achieving orgasm in a certain time frame or achieving orgasm at all or having their head get in the way. You know, I, I feel like that's what we hear oh, yeah, the most. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So orgasm is one of my favorite topics, and it's like a big one that I could talk for days about. Please. <laughs> um, but so the path of becoming more orgasmic is is a couple layers. The first one, like you're pointing at, is about this, like the, where the mind gets in the way. So there's a couple of things that are surefire, like orgasmic killers, you know? And so this is like mental chatter is number one. Just the amount of stimulation we have in our day between social media, our the demands and responsibilities of life, um, the different things that are stressing out us out on different levels, like all this stuff is what creates our mental chatter. 
And so that's going. And usually, typically for women, there's also a layer of mental chatter connected to insecurities and discomfort with our bodies. Mm-hmm. Right. So when one of the things when we get sexual is like there's so much um insecurity there about like, is my body normal? Is it doing what it's supposed to be doing? Is my partner enjoying me? And and what I find is women are way more critical of their bodies than most men are. Right. Uh, and so for us, like one of the first layers is just like really doing things to love and make peace with your body and your pleasure parts. And a very, like, it's an advanced practice, but I often give to women is like, have you ever taken a mirror and just like explored down there on Mm -hmm. your own? Right. Looked at like all the different parts of your anatomy and even like at different stages of arousal. Like it's a very interesting practice just to like, while you're self-pleasuring to keep checking in with a mirror and watch how the tissues change and things engorge and enlarge Mm -hmm. and all these different parts, like Mm -hmm. making forming a relationship with, you know, the vagina, the vulva, all these different parts down there. But a, a, that's an advanced practice. So in, a step back from that would be when you sit, you stand in front of the mirror naked and just even that part where like we're getting out of a bath or a shower and we're lotioning ourselves, a really great one is like you can literally like be present in your contact with your body. As you're putting on oil or lotion, can you apply it in a way that feels good? Maybe take a moment to like actually tune into the pleasure that's available there. Maybe even tell your body you love it. Like it's, it feels cheesy at first, but like literally saying out loud or in your head, like, I love you. I love you. Like you would want a lover to. Right. You know, like so many of the things we want our partners or our lovers to do for us, we're not doing for ourselves. That's so true. Yeah. 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 So I always say like, it starts with you. Like a lot of what we're experiencing in sexuality and relationship, like it starts in you and you have power to shift it just by the way you're showing up for yourself. So that's, that's one thing, the presence, the body touch, the making peace with your body. The mind chatter is about beginning to like a lot of people try to meditate and they think they suck at it mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're like, I can't make my mind stop. Right. Yeah. So it's just, first of all, getting that like meditation is not about making your mind stop. It's a practice of learning how to keep redirecting your focus over and over. So you become more masterful at, at really being you can purposely place your mind in different places. So you're not stopping your thoughts. You're shifting your thoughts. Thoughts. You're just, yeah. Yeah. You're literally being able to say, because mostly our thoughts run unconsciously. Mm -hmm. They run us instead of us being the master of them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when we're meditating, what we're really doing is we're first bringing in that witness that is just even being aware of what is running up there. (laughs) Right. You know, and, and, and when you sit for five, 10 minutes, most, Mostly I tell people, start with observing the sensation of your breath, because even if you can just like go to licking your lips, feeling the cool breath, like sweep across your lips as you breathe in through your mouth, feeling the breath sweep across your tongue and just a simple practice of tuning into those sensations of the breath in your mouth for like a couple of minutes, that's meditation. Okay. And then that's where you keep going back if your mind wanders back to that. Yeah. Because a lot of what happens um, when we get into sexual encounters is that if we can't place our mind in our bodies where the pleasure is happening, orgasm can't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Right. You have to be able to connect with where the pleasure is happening. And mostly we wait till there's like so much intensity or so much friction or so much pleasure that it pulls us out of our minds, Mm -hmm. which is why we want those like stronger encounters. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, so that like just threw me for a loop because it's, yeah, yeah, no, that, that idea of like, I know personally for me, I am such like my brain is just like always like I'm just anxious and like overthink everything and all this. And, and there is in that expectation and an unfair expectation that I put not only on my husband, but on myself of like, it has to be this like whirlwind romance moment or else I'm sitting there kind of like, I can't disconnect from work from my baby, mm-hmm. from the fact that the kitchen is filthy right now and I can't just like turn it off. Yes. But the idea of like, yeah. if, when it is connected to meditation and just allowing yourself to learn how to go there without that. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's such a gift both to ourselves mm-hmm. and to our partners, I find, to learn how to work, how to be our own source of arousal. It's a big one because we do put a lot of pressure on like this idea that we have the sex. So if you want it, you're going to have to figure out how to make me want it too. Mm -hmm. Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's like you need to figure out how to make me feel beautiful. Mm -hmm. And like God knows there are certain days where literally no one could do that (laughs) except my own brain. And am I going to allow myself to let my brain do that? But like the idea of practicing that regularly yeah. That is, yeah, that is so much unfair pressure to put on someone, on anyone, on mm-hmm. whoever your lover may be. Like that's, yeah. And what I find is that like when we start to become masters of our own arousal, of our own pleasure and how to make that transition from like the mundane life mm-hmm. into more sensual space, because there are little things you can do to help yourself move into that space. And when we learn how to do that, we're creating an invitation, like we're setting our partners up to win, mm-hmm. basically. Um, or it, it doesn't even have to be about them. I, I often, another thing is like, I think women should have their own sensuality and self-pleasuring practices for themselves because it's a huge stress reliever. We need it. Mm-hmm. We really need it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And not only relieves stress, but like when we open the sexual energy in our body, it's a source of energy. It revitalizes our systems. It uplifts our emotions. There's so many things that it does. It helps to balance hormones. Like it keeps us in good well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having our own relationship with our sexuality and making sure we're engaging it in ways is like part of self-care. Mm-hmm. Now I have a question. So when you were talking about like the difference between obviously like Western and Eastern, when it comes to, uh, women's, uh, pleasuring themselves, that is still, I mean, obviously we're getting, getting closer, but that is such a taboo topic. And I know that a lot of our listeners are kind of like, I don't even know where to start. And yeah, you know, how do I feel comfortable? Because I was always kind of taught that this is just like a no, no. First off is, is that something that is more Western? Like, is that more of a Western taboo thing is female self-pleasuring or is that just kind of overall something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find that every culture right now, because of the overarching impact of colonization and patriarchy, Mm -hmm. um, is suffering from all kinds of stuff around gender and sexuality, like that everyone's got issues in this area. Um, But yeah, if you go back deeper into the roots of some cultures, even European cultures, there is less taboo around self-pleasuring, around 
sex around all of these things. And the 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 one that we get here, like the Judeo-Christian version of yes. like, you know, touching yourself is a sin. Right. And you people, don't spill sperm or whatever it wasn't right it's only for creation or procreation right right, right. right? um and this idea that uh that even pleasure or arousal is some kind of devil that Mm -hmm. will pull you down the wrong path right you know like these are some of the things we have to start to unhook from because a lot of women i find are walking around with ideas about like them in their sexuality is um setting themselves up to to like be a whore. Mm-hmm. They're playing into um ideas about like what good women do and what you know not good women do. Mm-hmm. And and the self-pleasure piece, it's like even just feeling any kind of pleasure before we even get to like masturbation. Any kind of pleasure. Some women have guilt that arises. Yeah, because I I have other things I should be doing. I have children. I should have other needs I need to be fulfilling for other people. Like I shouldn't spend money on myself. Yeah. You know, I shouldn't spend an hour taking a bath when I need to be doing this around the house, like all that kind of thing. Yeah. Or even just for your own business, you know, even mm -hmm. for like working women. Yeah. There's a bigger umbrella of martyrdom that is still being celebrated. Wow. Yeah. So that's the real nugget to crack first is just to like really get down with what's your orientation to pleasure period. Mm. And where can you start to allow, even just like before we get into the sexual pleasure, sensual pleasure, baths, walks outside, deep breath, rich food, movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good tasting food. I tell people like sensuality the source, the root of sensuality are your senses. And this is a very tantric orientation. The idea that your senses, your five senses are a gateway to something more. Mm-hmm. And that something more could be thought of as bliss, as orgasmic energy, as ecstasy. But your senses, the more that you engage pleasant sound, sound that's pleasurable, sense that are pleasurable, taste that's pleasurable, touch that's pleasurable, that is in and of itself is a pleasure practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a, that's a good place to start is to, I, I often will guide clients to make a pleasure list. What are the things that bring you pleasure? Because we're all different. We're all wired right. different. There's not like, you know, we get fed cultural ideas about like, you should like chocolate and <laughs> you should like scented baths. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, but that doesn't work for all women. Yeah. So like, how does your unique body work and what brings you pleasure? Yeah. And have that list handy where you can see it and schedule one thing from it into your calendar, like a date, like an important appointment. And make it simple enough to fit into your lifestyle. Yeah, I'm just thinking it could be even something like, I love fresh lemonade and taking a walk around the block without my phone. Yes. Mm. Like, yeah. That sounds lovely. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like those kind of simple things that are just for you to nurture yourself. And I find we have to set like, because we're so to-do list oriented, we literally have to put it on our to-do list Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, as something that's a priority. And when you're doing it, what I often will tell people is to be present in it. 
because it's so easy to like get to that thing. Okay, here's where I give myself my pleasure. Mm -hmm. And then to be thinking about everything else you still have to do. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that right now. Like if I scheduled it in at two, I would be like, well, then after that, I have this to do the rest of the day. Like, what time is it? Is is my hour of pleasure up yet? Like, (laughs) you know, your timer goes off. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Which is why like the real task when you're engaging in a pleasurable moment for yourself is this is where the meditation comes in. Keep coming back to like, where does the pleasure show up in your body? How do you Mm -hmm. know you're experiencing pleasure? What does that feel like? Like, is it, does your chest lighten? Do you get a tingle in your genitals? You know, does a smile come up on your face? Like, what are the indicators that you're in pleasure? And then look for those, Mm -hmm. (laughs) look for those. And what I literally will tell people is say yes, like Mm -hmm. internally go like, yes, like there you are. Yes. Because when we say yes to something, we affirm it and we invite more of it. So that's the real work because we're literally deconstructing an entire um, blueprint that's been created for women to not enjoy themselves. Right. Yeah. And yeah, and, and just culture, like and you were saying, Western culture. I know uh, with like the Enneagram that I believe uh, the United States, the highest number is three, which is all about like success and business and the to-do list. And like you said, there was so much then martyrdom that comes with the kind of like, I don't have time for baths because I have this workload and whatever. And, and I know that I'm guilty of that where I will feel insecure, um, especially for instance, when right after I had, uh, no, I guess right after, but about a year after I had my baby and I wasn't getting back to work right away, but she was like a year old. So she was like doing her own thing. And instead of just taking it and enjoying myself going, you know what? I'm truly enjoying my time. I'm starting to really come into my body again. I was just feeling so guilty with people being like, so you're not working again. And, and, and you're not, you know, when are you going to put the baby in school and start working? What are you doing? Just like hanging around at home. And I just was just riddled with, with anxiety and and shame and guilt. And we pride ourselves on busyness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think about the last time that I went to the, the spa, I, and I do this every time I get so excited. I set a spa date. And then as soon as like the massage is over, I like can only sit somewhere for five minutes. Like I'll go in the sauna and be like, oh, okay, that's enough. And then I'll be like, okay. And I just don't have the ability. And I'm trying to learn that to just sit and be like, no, this is your time. Mm. Take pleasure in it. So yeah. I love the idea of the meditation. while. So you're bringing up a really important point, which is like, so this thing of the doer Mm -hmm. that we're all so wrapped up in the do 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 (laughs) and doing is good not doing is bad it's shameful yeah doing is good and it's because productivity this Mm -hmm. idea that like creating something building something it is what the american you know industrial nature is built upon this idea that productivity gives us value making things gives us value and what I have found, and you can even look at like some of the biggest, you know, people in history and like the people who've really made an impact on this world, it's actually who we're being is where the value comes from. Hmm. Who are you being? Because what you do is completely influenced by what you are. Right? So if you are anxious and stressed and not connected to yourself and you're doing from that place, what are you creating? You know, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it, it's like it's beginning to deconstruct. Like it's not just about the output, but it's the quality of what we're producing. Yeah, and also if we're always doing, and we're always just like 
what are our interactions like with the people that we love in our lives and how do we talk to people we're at the grocery store and we're like move out of my fucking way like I have things to do you know it's like what is that interaction like for the people around us who encounter us like (laughs) I just was saying to Evan the other day we had this moment where um, you know there are a few kids in Ember's little preschool class who are ahead of her when it comes to like you know spelling her little name and writing the alphabet and, and, and Evan came in the other day and he was like are we doing something wrong like we're behind I'm feeling a little stressed she my daughter is um you know she has seen like some doctors and stuff she has some learning things and hyperactivity and all this and we just want to streamline everything for her in the best way but she's behind in those ways because of that because of her busyness and I looked at him and I was like I have no answer Except for the fact that we could, I guess, fixate on trying to teach her how to write the alphabet and like put all that effort in. And like you and I are then more stressed out because of work or you and I could work more on our relationship and have her see a really beautiful, loving, healthy marriage. And I think ultimately her walking away with that when you and I are pleased in our marriage and loving each other and then loving her that yeah even if she's behind sometimes with her little abc and and also just to that point like behind in relation to what are the ways that she's ahead in the ways that she sings and the ways that she can dance and the way that she can talk to people it's like who gives a fuck if she can't really write her american thing that gets in my brain what what boxes are we checking you know what developmental boxes has she checked at this age you know Mm -hmm. and if she and it's it's like so important i mean like what you're what it makes me think about is like so and it's the one thing i like to love to convey to everybody it's like we're so unique like Mm -hmm. each there is no one like you there's no one like any of us right Mm -hmm. and yet we enter into these systems where we have to learn how to do things the same way Right. And this is even applies to sexuality and relationship where like we're being given these codes or these blueprints for like, this is how it's supposed to look or this is how it's supposed to work. But what how does it work for you? You know, Mm -hmm. and and even at that very young age where we start to get those ideas about like there's something wrong with me because I can't do it like everyone else does it or it doesn't work for me. Like whatever, like what you're saying is so true is that the the gifts of what we do do well and who we are can get overlooked right mm-hmm. and what's amazing about that is i i truly believe that like each one of us comes here with a purpose and with you know like fits into the map we have a place mm-hmm. in the map that's unique for us and our gifts and our skills and that in order for us to really like allow for those talents and skills to blossom we have to have safe spaces where we get to learn who we are and have a place where those things can be expressed and, and those kinds of things, um, including sexually, like (laughs) we need space to be able to like figure out how do I work? Like what's, what's my unique expression, you know, in this way. And, and going back to that point of the doing and versus the being, I feel like, you know, with women, we each have this unique ability to be the source of impacting our families, our communities, our whatever we are a part of. There's this way that however we're showing up, we usually show up to provide quality of life for the best interest of the whole. Mm -hmm. It's just like an orientation that most women walk with. 
And so I think each woman possesses her own unique gifts or qualities. Like Mm. what are your core values? And the way you can usually like distill what those are, it's like, what would you give anyone in your life that like, what would you gift them? um, If you could gift them anything like an experience or a feeling, like what are the, what are the feelings you would gift them with? You know, and, and and each woman will answer completely differently. Like, like how? Right. Like how would you so, answer that? So for me, like mine are like love, uh huh, um, connection, wisdom, and power. Mm-hmm. Those are the things I would gift people with, like a, a like way to access those things, and so that informs one what I want to, I want to show up as the kind of person who can help people experience those things. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. That's great. That's such a great exercise to write that down and to focus on that. Yeah. Let's take a break real quick. Now I'm like, what would I say? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Let's take Um, a pause and then, yeah. So, um, you know, what is not sexy? Or what? sacred space or piles of furniture and boxes you don't know what to do with. That's and, oh, it's yes. the worst. And you don't have anywhere to store them. Well, thank God we have the perfect solution to all your storage needs. Clutter. Clutter is the world's largest on-demand storage provider. If you're Marie condoing your life away, but you don't want to get rid of everything permanently, or if you're like an in-between apartment situation, that kind of thing, there's clutter. If you're traveling abroad and subletting your place and have nowhere to put your stuff, there's clutter. It's zero effort. Just schedule a pickup and Clutter will be there to pack and move your belongings to store in their secure facility. The best part is Clutter's price match guarantee means you get the lowest possible monthly storage rate. Need your stuff? No problem. Just let Clutter know and they'll bring it right to your door. You can schedule a delivery date online and Clutter will get you in 48 hours or less. Don't pay for more packing or delivery. It's all included in Clutter's low monthly rate. So you don't have to waste time and money searching for packing supplies, scheduling movers, vetting storage facilities. Oh my gosh, what a nightmare. Experience the future of storage with Clutter. My friend actually just recently used Clutter because she had a month in between places she was living. So they came and did everything for her. And yeah. She didn't have to worry about it for the month that she was like couch hopping. So Clutter has a great sign up bonus for our listeners. Get $50 off your first month when you sign up at clutter.com slash chatty. That's on top of Clutter's no hassle moving, online inventory management, free pickup and delivery and price match guarantee. See why Clutter is better and get $50 off your first month at clutter.com slash chatty. That's clutter.com and enter promo code chatty at checkout. Amazing. Um... Okay, good, good. Oh, no, I was just going to ask. Okay, so a lot of our listeners, um, actually probably a good like 30%, are married women who, you know, they've been in a relationship with their spouse for a long time. A lot of women who got married straight out of high school or have been with their person for a really long time, and they are maybe feeling some adjustments and needs for change in their own life. And they'll ask us and DM us like, how do I get my partner or my husband or whoever to see me as I change. So if you're in this process as a woman and you're hearing what you're saying, you're like, I want what she's talking about. How do you help your partner while you transition into like really feeling your goddess self? Yeah, Yeah. it's such a, it's, it's a big one because in long-term relationship, right, we have this piece of like both people are changing over the course Mm -hmm. of time. And I feel like the longer that you're with someone, like a relationship is going to go through deaths and rebirths and deaths and rebirths. And you won't, you'll be in multiple relationships, even if you stay with the same person, you know? 
And that's, it's a good one to to understand that like when you hit a crisis point in relationship or you're like hitting some static or friction, it's usually an opportunity to deepen the intimacy in the relationship. A lot of times we're conflict averse (laughs) Um, because we don't know how to navigate it in a way that's actually going to create more connection or closeness. And when we go through shifts, part of the challenge in going through shifts is how we share that shift with our partner but also how to communicate what their role is, like what we need from them. And I find a lot of what happens with women is like, we really want our partners to be mind readers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, isn't it obvious? Because this is the way I would do it. You Can't know? you tell I'm changing? <laughs> I yeah. need things. Isn't it obvious? Because right. I'm upset right now that I needed something you didn't give me. <laughs> right. These unspoken like, expectations. Yeah. And, and typically like from the other side of it, it's like, I just know she's upset. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I did wrong. You know, <laughs> we were fine a month ago. I don't understand <laughs> what's happening. Somebody save me. <laughs> this move worked for forever. Why isn't this working anymore? I don't understand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so when I work with couples in particular, one of the pieces that we work with is how to keep seeing each other anew. So there's this idea that like we know our partners, you know, because we get to see their patterns and Uh we know things about them. And like, I just know you, this is how you work. Oh, and is that what leads to down the road when people say, I just don't know you're a stranger suddenly? It's like, there's this realization like, wait, I don't know you. Yeah, I mean, if we haven't been paying attention, you know, mm. because the truth is we're changing, like we are, there's things that stay consistent, yes, but we're constantly changing. And it's good to take an orientation to your partnership about like, who are you today? What's happening for you this year? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, your, are your desires shifting? Are your interests shifting? Are your fears shifting? Like, and to do check-ins regularly, I like to give couples the practice of, Um, like a conscious communication practice where you're sitting down to both like empty your trash with each other at least once a week, Mm. you know, where you're both, you set a timer. And so you're not like waiting till something boils up or bubbles up. Yes. To bring up the hard stuff. stuff. Wow. That's really good. Cause I encountered that a lot. Um, just it's the past year has been a lot and it seemed like we could, we would only talk about the hard stuff when something was going wrong. Because right. then it was to the point where I couldn't keep it in anymore. But then it ends up becoming a really unhealthy discussion of the hard stuff. Yes. Or it becomes like, why do you always bring that stuff up? When And it's like, because I don't want to spoil our good moments talking about mm-hmm. the bad things. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah I, I mean, love I, it, it works so well when there's like a container to hold just deeper conversation. Taking out the trash. Taking mm-hmm. out the trash, yeah. So it's like you set a timer where each partner gets 10 to 20 minutes, depending on what your time availability is, and you s- take places like listening, just active listening. You don't say anything. You don't respond. You can't throw your two cents in. You just listen. You don't roll your eyes. <laughs> you don't roll your eyes, right? <laughs> just for a blindfold. <laughs> and and an important piece is you repeat back what you think you heard your partner Ooh. say. <laughs> before you can respond okay repeat back what you think you heard them say before you can respond because often we are translating our partner's language misinterpreting so then what do you do when the partner what if the what if i just talk to you for 10 minutes and you repeat it back and it's the total (laughs) twisted version yeah then then what do you so if it's totally so yeah yeah so if it's totally twisted you try not to react you try not to blame judge or project and you just own you're like there's some parts that are missing that i don't think got heard Mm -hmm. and you repeat back the parts that didn't get heard 
Hmm. And then they try again. They try to repeat back, is this more accurate? Is this what's happening, right? And and what, what you try to do in this conscious communication back and forth is move from a place of empathy. So each partner is trying to put yourself to be like, wow, I can see how that would be hard. Or mm-hmm. I can see that this is having an impact on you or whatever it is that how what you can empathize with, like to move from a place of empathy. Because mostly in hard conversations, we're trying to defend and blame. Defend and blame, which puts us in opposition to each other. Yeah, it's like defending mm. and deflecting. Like yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah. So empathy, you're trying to get your partner. You're trying to get them. Um, and so that's the orientation you're moving from. And then once a person's been fully heard, then you switch places and the other person can speak their truth. Now, when the other person switches to speak their truth, yes, I'm guessing the purpose isn't for them to then list all the reasons why they were doing the thing that the other part you know what I mean so like how does it not become this thing of like (laughs) well now it's my turn (laughs) yeah so what I tell people is like both when you're sharing whoever's sharing to avoid blame so a lot of times this is this is like the the heart of vulnerability is to get down to like okay so this other person did this thing and we could be like, well, you did this, and then this happened, and then you did this, and you should have done this, and this is what I really wanted in that way. But what if you're like, when you did this, I felt so insignificant. Mm-hmm. I felt disrespected. I felt like you didn't care because if you cared for me, then you know it would have looked like this. That kind of thing. So this is like coming from vulnerability is you look for where are you in the hurt? Like where's your hurt? And you speak about your hurt, mm-hmm. not where the other person failed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not using language like you made me act yes. this way, like you yes. made me. Yeah. yeah, all that's blame. So anytime that you start to go you, 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 you're probably in the blame game. Mm-hmm. And it's never going to go good. So the the first, besides empathy and trying to get your partner, the other orientation is to always come from I. I my personal experience and to get that our personal experience is just that it's not truth Mm. it's not fact it's not even wrong like they're not wrong you're not wrong it's just your experience yeah and it's valid but to try to make it anything else is just going to get us into trouble (laughs) (laughs) right so, so this is like, cause we need to be able to have hard conversations when we're going through big shifts. Right. So when we're stepping, we're going through a period of growth in our lives. There's a lot changing. There's a lot of need to keep updating each other about what our needs are. And specifically what I like to do for women is to teach us how to make requests, to make requests and to have agreements with our partners because we have to first know what we need. And this is part of the work of becoming a sensual goddess is to get in touch with like, what do I need? If you're going into reaction, like strong trigger, explosive anger, any of these types of things, you already had a boundary crossed. Mm. A boundary was crossed that you didn't even know was there. So if something like that happens, it's it's a chance and an opportunity to reflect on like, what did I need that didn't happen that got me to this reaction? Like, where's the hurt coming from? And so the more that we start to suss out what the actual need is, 
Um, and it's usually beyond like, I need you to just not say that thing in that way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's, you know, maybe it's more like, I need to know that you think I'm beautiful. Mm. I need to know that you care about my pleasure. I need to know that, um, that like, I can say no to intercourse, mm-hmm. like, some where are the needs and when we know where the needs are then we can have some of those hard conversations which is like here's what my experience has been and here's what i here's where i need your help i like to phrase it like that i need your help mm-hmm. we hate to need help right <laughs> absolutely we hate but, to need uh, things <laughs> but it is yeah. that is such a like such a powerful moment for partners when you hear that from someone yes like it's hard to shut someone's needs out when they ask for help in a kind way. Yeah. And it is like a double-edged sword because what you were talking about earlier also though is recognizing the ways that you can fulfill yourself instead of needing your partner to do that. Yeah. So yeah. you can't always need your partner to make you feel good or feel pleasure however many times a week and make sure that you feel beautiful. And if they're not telling you enough things and you're going to feel like shit, like that's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's why I think it's important for every woman to own her own pleasure, her own sensuality, her own sexuality first. So that when you're saying I need, it is specific. I need you to lay your hands in stillness on my breasts. I need you to stare into my eyes and tell me how much you love me. Mm-hmm. I need for you to, for us to be able to have sensual play or sexual play together and it not lead to intercourse. Mm-hmm. These kinds of things. But we don't even know these things about ourselves until we start to do some unpacking about what's really happening with us. Right. Oh. I well, it. I could literally talk to you. For yeah, this is this is great. <laughs> like so much wisdom. Thank you so so much. My pleasure. I know that this is going to be like so helpful for so many. Yeah. Of our do listeners. you have so r- further for resources? Yes. That yes. You can, yeah. That absolutely. You can share too. So, so my website is um, www.spaceforlove.com. So space f o r love dot com Mm -hmm. and um on that like if you sign up for my newsletter there's already like a gift of a a meditation you can start with an easy guided meditation to start relaxing the brain and getting into your heart um and then there's the program the body of bliss program is coming back up this august and so i'll be sharing about that and special offers for that soon but i also share like articles and resources and tips about different things videos from time to time yeah do you have any books that you could recommend for people to start or like anywhere like if you know there might be that for some people who are there like i need to know more about this like you were talking about i need to dive in yeah i mean there's there's off the top of my head the one i refer a lot is tantric orgasm for women Mm -hmm. by diana richardson i've seen that on amazon Yeah. yeah and that one specifically is talking about like the energetics of a sexuality in a female body um, from a more tantric perspective. And so it'll offer, a, there's practices in the book at the end of every chapter, which is what I love. So it offers information and practices. Um, and then there's another one that's more based um, about current science, like current sexual science that is really good for women um, called Come As You Are. Yes, I've heard of that one as well. Yeah, Nagoski, I think. And uh, that one's just really great if you want to understand like the science of sexuality a little bit more and how arousal and orgasm, all these things work biologically, physiologically, (laughs) you know. What about for men? Would would those be also good books for them to read? Or is there any resources for them that you could 
share? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for men, it's always good to, I feel like they're always like women are the mystery. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're like, mostly I just want to know how to hold my erection longer <laughs> right. and not piss off my woman or to please my woman, you know, like, um, but, but yeah, though, so it's helpful for men and even in the tantric orgasm for women, there's practices you can do with your partner. Um, but there's a handful of them. Like David Data does a lot of work with men that's more based on just like the masculine and how to operate in honor as the masculine. So he's got a book that's popular called um, The Way of the Superior Man. Hmm. That's pretty good in approaching that. And it covers all spectrum of like relationship as man. Um, and there's Montauk Chia has several books out there that from the Taoist perspective on um, the energetics of sexuality from a Taoist perspective. Amazing. Well, we'll make sure to include all those books and your website in the episode. Space for love. Yes. Yes. Spaceforlove.com. Yes. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming. It was wonderful. Thanks for having me ladies. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see all you broads uh, on Tuesday. Yep. Sounds good. Chat Chat soon. soon. (laughs)